You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Hey, good evening. How are you doing? Welcome. Uh, Matt Phillips here from One Chat Live, and you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, episode 93, which is funny, isn't it, how these numbers, you're approaching 100, and it's all very exciting, but it is a milestone of a number, and we are getting there. In fact, we'll be there in seven weeks, uh, by my calculations. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, then um, this is a live recording. Um, I've always done that since One Chat Live. I love getting the guests on the camera live, so everything you hear is happening in the moment. Um, so you're welcome to join us if you like live shows and um, that way you can talk to the guest and you can network um, with the other people who join us live and um, we stream onto youtube directly so you just have to go to the sports therapy association youtube channel and that way um, you can uh, when you have your comments you can bring them up on the screen um, and it gives you a chance to share your logo or your beautiful face um, and that way you can kind of network with each other especially if you're in the uk because it gives you a chance to see the other members of the sports therapy association and there's bound to be someone in your region for example becky carroll has just come in hey becky how you doing for those of you who listen to the podcast becky carroll's wonderful face and russian hat is now on the screen and it says even oh in a kind of like a police person type way how are you doing becky um so yeah if you can join us it's wonderful if you can't join us then no problems at all i appreciate you downloading the podcast and listening on your podcast app it'd be lovely if you could leave a review and a rating because that simply allows us to appear higher on google searches when people put in for example working with teenage athletes will come up higher which gives us a chance to really help the good word of our guests come out more and more so uh, before i introduce you to uh tonight's guest which I'm very excited about. Um, just a little recap. It's been the feedback's been really good this month. It's worked so well again. Uh, pat on my own back. So well de devoting a whole month to a topic, and it's been CPD this month. Um, we started off in uh, the beginning of the month with an episode on dermoneuromodulation. Um, this is a course, for those of you who don't know, which was uh, started by a fantastic thinker, massage therapist Diane Jacobs in Canada um, years and years and years ago. We're talking times of when she studied with David Butler and um, that kind of era in Laura Mosley. And her system, dermoneuromodulation, DNM for short, is really coming to play because it's all about using the appropriate technique for the person in front of you and affecting the nervous system through the skin, which is essentially what we now know 25 or 30 years later than she was saying that um, is how pretty much manual therapy is the best uh, mechanism of action we've got for how manual therapy actually has it makes a change. So uh, that was the first one. It's still there if you want to listen to it. And the courses are still running. You've missed the first section, uh, but the July, I'm saying July, but I think it might be June. Um, let me check. Yeah, June 456 in Birmingham and 10, 11, 12 in Exeter. So if you already know a bit about DNM and you just want to go on to stage two with the fantastic Ray Allen, who's going to be taking that from the USA, he's coming over, then the course is available for it. We then went on to the next session, which was with Peter Maliaris um, from Melbourne, Australia, um, one of the kings in tendinopathy research and education. Um, it was a pleasure talking to Pete. And it was really nice because I love these people I followed, uh, like, giants whose shoulders i've stood on as i've said so many times and it's been amazing watching pete's journey and how he's recognizing now and kind of part of his courses you know what we haven't got all the answers research doesn't make it black and white like we used to think um it's not a case of always doing isometric training or always concentric or always eccentric like we thought it was it's 
seeing what works the person in front of you and not being afraid to say hmm, that didn't work let's try this that's what it's all about it's the best system we've got and you're more likely to get results so um pete is coming over he's already done some he's in the uk now um Newport, March the 20th, that happened. Epsom, March the 25th was sold out. That's this uh, weekend. But you've still got a chance if you do want to learn from the best and uh, in terms of tendinopathy rehab uh, to go to one of his London courses, which is March the 26th in London. Then also Surrey on March the 27th. There we go. Um, who do we see next? Who do we see next? Last week, it was the amazing uh, Greg Lehman was in the studio. Amazing. De- talking of shoulders of giants, I stood on. Greg was probably one of the founding people, along with people like Paul Ingram um, and uh, Todd Hargrove and um, oh, people like that, Lorma Mosley, um, just people who maybe 10, 15 years ago just changed my practice and therefore the the what my patients received um amazing speaker amazing educator his course reconciling biomechanics with pain science um has been taught in more than 30 countries across five continents and i think it's in something like eight languages it's just an absolute pearl um of a couple of days to spend and it's coming to ireland um it's i was the first person actually in the uk to host greg back in i don't know 215 or something it's an amazing course um, I say that it's not for everybody, of course. I mean, I, I had a little uh, live on Facebook recently and I said, we're not saying you have to do all these courses. We're just saying because it depends a lot on who you are and what you're lacking or what you think you need and whether you work in the team or not. But it's one I would consider. I would go to his website and have a little look at what it's about, because, again, it's just putting that biopsychosocial together and explaining it in the only way that Greg can, which is with a bit of humor and sarcasm. Um, a few of you emailed me and I said I would put up again just the free workbook that Greg offers on his website. So if you go to greglayman.ca, um, it, it really is free. It's huge. It's it's amazing. It's got talk about metaphors and analogies and ways of introducing complex um discussions with your patients who are suffering from pain, if it's appropriate or not. Um, it's a free pain guidebook. Um, and when you look at that, if you love the look of it, then consider the courses. Um, like I say, Greg's coming to Cork Island, which is only a a stone's throw away from the from from England if you fly over, um, and that is on April the second, Saturday, April the second to Sunday, April the third. Um, so yeah, check that out if you'd like a little bit of Greg in your life, which I think everyone could do with. Which brings us to tonight, and it's just going on and on. And there's five weeks in this month as well, which is even more exciting. So this is not the last one. I know it's number four, but we've got another one next week. Next week is Jack March, all about rheumatology. But tonight is going to be all about um, working with teenage athletes with the fantastic title Active Kids and Not Mini Adults, which kind of is a lovely way of opening up what we're going to be talking about. Um, Angela Jackson, I was just talking off air with Angela or Angie. You can call her whatever you like. Um is one of the things I love about this is I wasn't familiar with Angela beforehand. Um, and thanks to Jack March, it was actually now I am following. Um, Angela has made my Twitter favorites, which means I see everything. And it's been amazing. It's lovely for me, even though I've been in the game for so long and, and follow so many people, I've met some wonderful people. It's lovely when I'm still meeting great therapists and um, practitioners and educators. So put your seatbelts on. Oh, no, don't put your seatbelts on. Make yourself comfortable. Make yourself a cup of tea. Um, people are still coming in. I think I've given you enough time to come in now. We've got some lovely people in here. Catherine Weimer, how are you doing? Regulars are all in here. Glenn Murphy has just come in. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, Louise Aker is here. Evening all. Gary Benson, founder of the Sports Therapy Association, is here as well. Um, and also Sabrina Monaghan has come in as well. So as always, guys, if you've got questions, then feel free to type them and I'll bring them up. I've told Angie if I ignore or don't see your questions, she's welcome to stop me and bring them up. Okay, looking very much forward to this. So without further ado, um, I will get rid of that.
And I will bring up um, Angie Jackson. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. So, yeah, thank you so much for giving up time and joining us. Really exciting, great topic. So we could probably get straight into it, really, in the sense that why are we having to have this conversation that active kids are not mini adults? You think it would be obvious, wouldn't you, that kids are going to need different attention? How is it that the education is not out there and wonderful people like yourselves are having to put courses on to reteach to a certain extent therapists? I think across um, sort of all the therapy courses from physiotherapy to sports therapy to sports massage, the rehabbers, um, one of the areas that's sort of not taught really is um, possibly the youth athlete, but very definitely that sort of MSK peds group. Um, I think when you talk to, I've, I've spoken to lots of um, academics and said, well, why do you not prioritise um, education for uh, therapists around kids? And they just say there just isn't time on the courses available. Um, I find it quite scary because as a clinic owner, I own my own clinic for 30 years. The number of clients that came in and it may be a mum or a dad with back pain. And then they just expect that we would be able to see their kid. Um, and so they'll say, well, you know, my little Johnny's got heel pain or my little Johnny's got knee pain. Can you see them next week? And the expectation from the public is that we will have the skills to be able to see any age group. And I think, sadly, um, all of the therapists across the board come out of their uh, training with actually very little awareness that there are different pathologies. And one of the key areas would be looking at sort of, you know, the maturation um, status of the, the person in front of you, because there's a huge age span. We can't go on their date of birth. Uh, and so there's so many different things around how to get the right diagnoses um, and then the right treatment plans in place. That's really interesting. And I, whenever I have guests on opening up with such a powerful statement like that, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that if you're listening to the podcast, for example, if you're one of the couple of thousand who downloaded it, you're thinking, oh, my God, it's true. You know, I, I, I just kind of think that I'm going to deal with this little person like a big person. Or I'm interested if you're listening, if you're joining us live, maybe put in the comments um, whether you did have any mention of the younger population or what you would change or what you would screen or look for. Um, if you're joining us live, maybe type in there or whether you had to do it yourself. Maybe you've had a little top up like a lot of soft tissue therapists have to do. Type that in the comments and we'll keep our eyes open. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Angie, because we're in an era now where the the, the message quite wonderfully is work with the individual in front of you you know avoid the black and white kind of you know thing and yet here we are with therapists appearing without kind of having specialist knowledge on either gender on age you know with children whether it's male female um it's all pretty tricky out there but you come along and you've got a wonderful website there um you've you've got a background yourself haven't you i mean this website hasn't just come out of nowhere you've got a long long history competing yourself and with family i don't want to say too long 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 because it makes it sound like you're really old but no, there's a history there isn't there <laughs> <laughs> when you started to talk about some of the, your gurus i was going yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um so i going back um i played lots of sports as a kid was quite competent thought i was going to have a career in sport and then the typical story i got injured when i was 15 and actually, that stopped me being able to play sport. It was quite a severe injury. And so 
Um, I couldn't do the conventional rotational posts that most physiotherapists have to do. So I headed out to Canada um, and I was incredibly lucky. We're talking 35 years ago now. And we had MRI scans in the scanners in the doctor's surgery. Um, we had a I worked in a kid's sports clinic with uh, soft tissue therapists, with podiatrists, kinesiologists, all sorts of things. But it was purpose built and specific for kids. So I kind of never looked back, really. When I came back to the UK, I had a passion to try and understand why kids got injured. So why were some of my contemporaries not injured? We all did the same volume. So why did I get injured, but they didn't? And that's kind of fueled a passion for trying to understand and also obviously prevent kids from going through what I did, really. So um, I then opened a private practice and my speciality has been youth athlete development. Uh, I work in county cricket, a whole host of other different sports have come and gone. Um, but the kind of passion really has been around trying to get the right management for some of these kids, because we just see too many kids that maybe with things like low back pain in the youth athlete. Almost all athletes under the age of 20 with low back pain will have a lumbar stress fracture. But they're so badly managed that if we'd have got that early diagnosis in within the first few weeks, they'd have been turned around in a few weeks versus if we get to that stress fracture phase, we can be four and six months out of sport. So whilst they're not catastrophic injuries, they're just so hard for kiddies. And I think what the recent research is showing with, I think they've been suggesting now that the Osgood Schlatters, the patellofemoral pains, basically these kids have still got problems two and three and four years later from diagnosis. So they're not quite that like quick growing pain that they're going to grow out of. And what certainly the knee gurus are saying is if we can get those diagnoses right really early and get some of the right language around what pain means and get the kids on the pathway to a bit more strength and, and a bit more of a holistic view, then we can literally make sure these kids don't drop out of long term sport. Excellent. Yeah, amazing. So a lot of these, so a lot of your course then is about getting in there early enough, asking the right questions, doing the right tests and assessment to, to, um, it's interesting in the UK as a sports, unless you're a allied health professional, you can't actually diagnose. You're not allowed to use the word yeah. diagnosis in your notes. Um, you have to kind of work around it, but, but you, we will get a lot of, um, uh, people coming in who we have to assess and, and, kind of work out what we think is up with them we just mustn't use the word diagnose so it's the same kind of tools we just got to be careful with the vocabulary we use um i'm interested did you and and i probably know the answer but did you find out why you were getting injured and other people weren't yeah i think retrospectively it was multifaceted so um i was one of those kids who was probably pretty good at sport and therefore i was in demand across many many teams so I was playing sort of regional level um, sport in three sports. So when you some of the kind of golden rules now that the research is a bit scant around it, but the general rule of thumb would be that if you were, say, an age 12 adult, uh, adult, age 12 child, then you shouldn't do more than 12 hours of structured sport. So you'd get, one of the easy rules for people is if you're doing more hours in structured sport than your chronological age, you, you may run into trouble. And then what they really looked at was I was a particularly sort of strong tennis player. And so that was really sort of my specialist sport. And what they're really showing now in the research is 
that specialism um, can, if you specialize too early, which I probably was in the beginning, um, can actually lead to an increase in injury risk. Um, there's some ideas that it might give you protection because you're getting more load and your 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 body's adapting to it. But actually, probably I was too much too soon. That's pretty interesting, the chronological age and the number of hours, because I would imagine, and again, people are listening, do please chime in according to your own personal experience. But a lot of the um, younger athletes who do come to our clinic, if we added up how many hours they are practicing their sport, especially if they've been brought in because it's competitive and they're kind of being singled out because they're good at something, I would say a very high percentage are doing more than that. If you're a footballer and you've got seven days, you're probably doing six days a week of football. You know, if you're doing more than two and a half, three hours, that's it. You're over. So you're saying that could increase the risk of injury. It's certainly been linked to it. And um, some of the more recent papers, you sort of got the, uh, a lot of papers came out from people like uh, Tim Gabbett. And mm. he was talking a lot about the acute chronic workload, which in essence is too much too soon. The spike in activity when you haven't trained enough to, to cope with that load. Um, and his more recent work um, has probably highlighted um, three types of athletes where we're talking about how quickly they can maybe progress and how much they can do. Um, if you've got somebody who's not been training in that sport for long, so we call that their training age or their training history, then they probably haven't got the robustness to be able to withstand high increases in load and high volume. If they've had an injury risk, so, so uh, sorry, an injury history. So an easy one is if you've had one stress fracture in one part of your body, then you're a massively high risk for another. Mm. Um, I actually find that with things like what we call apophyseal injuries. So by that, I mean that um, the little growth plate areas I call, I, I'm very simple. So where we're looking at a bone, you've got um, the sticky out bits are what we call the apophysis. And those are the attachments for the tendons and the ligaments and things like that. And what happens is that the muscle, um, well, the bone grows first and the muscle lags behind it and plays like a traction tug of war game onto that little tender growth spec, uh, uh, point. So whereas in an adult, we might see a tendinopathy because the, the bone is stronger than the tendon. In a kid, it's the other way around and the bone is, is relatively weak. And so it starts to sort of almost tug away a little bit and cause a little bit of a, um, a micro reaction within the bone. But what we see is once they've perhaps got that at the heel, so imagine the Achilles attaching onto the, the heel bone, calcaneum, then when they're around about the age of 11-ish, they're more likely to get it in the heel because the foot grows first, then we get the traction apophysitis, and then the growth starts to go up the body. So then we start to see it in the knee and there's different conditions there. And then when they get to about 14, 15, we start to see it in the hip. Now, what you'll find is once they've had severs, they're way more likely to get Osgood-Schlatter's. And once they've had Osgood-Schlatter's, they're way, way more likely to get problems around the hip. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we've got to work out the why the kid got injured. Why did the uh, first child, why did the child get the first stress fracture? Because if we don't fix the why, how on earth are we ever going to prevent the recurrence? And I think this is critical across all the therapy industry is it's got to be that we know the risk factors for each of the different injuries. So whilst many of the professions perhaps are limited in, in terms of that diagnostic uh, capacity, 
I think all of us have got to get that questioning right to understand the whys. And that will really help us to inform the decision making about treatment. Fantastic. Oh, there's loads in there. I think the reason it's gone a bit quiet in the in the questions is because they're, they're all out there with their pens <laughs> and paper and writing things down. The bone's weaker than the muscle and it's like the opposite. This is great stuff. It must be really exciting to teach your course because the, I imagine there are a lot of eureka moments where people have come in who are probably good clinicians in their own right, but they just haven't had it laid out in this way, the differences between the pathologies they can expect and, and loads of other things. Do you get lots of moments with therapists where it's like, really? That's amazing. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And I teach quite a lot in a case study type way. Mm. Um, so the, uh, the course is, is uh, we, we set it up. COVID's really helped me in a way because I've taught this course for a long time. Um, we set the um, all the modules got set up because I wanted to train the therapists that came into work for my business. So we had sports rehabbers, we had sports therapists, we had massage therapists working within the business. But as I say, they came out of their college situation and they came to us and we expected them to be able to work with young athletes. And obviously they didn't have the toolkit or the skill set. So I set loads of modules up and then that gradually became a course. And then COVID obviously hit and I had to take that course online. So the great bit for me now is that what we do is put all of the modules around things like um, how to educate an athlete. So there's a whole section on what sort of things will help the athlete to understand about nutrition and sleep. So the main risk factors for stress fractures these days are um, low vitamin D. Perfectionism is a, an interesting one. Uh, lo uh, low protein intake, low, low calorie intake, sort of low energy intake um, in, in as much as not having enough strength or doing too much. So one of the modules that I have in the course is very much around education. One's around what questions to ask the youth athlete to understand their growth and maturation. But you don't need to be in a classroom to do that. And it used to really frustrate me that I was kind of having to spiel out all this knowledge. So what I've done now is day one, in effect, is all online and people can do that over the course of a year or so um, or over a, a weekend, entirely up to them. But then when we come together, um, it's all practical. And so we basically go through how to understand what capacity they've got now and then how to um, work out why they've got problems, maybe a little bit of screening and then effectively what we can do about it so the fun bit is because they're, they're kids techniques we literally just play games all day <laughs> sounds great i love the way you put it together let me just bring up for the people who are watching um the live show on youtube let's just bring the website up so um if you do want to have a little look i'm just going to put this on full screen so people can see we're talking about go to um angela jackson physio.com so angela jackson physio all one word dot com and you'll see you'll get splashed with that magnificent active kids and not many adults and then scroll around there in courses loads of different courses on there and we're talking in particular about the course called active kids and not many adults but there's lots on there if you look through um and yeah it's it's really interesting how you've given that option of um either all online or kind of integrating it with some online and some face-to-face -face. um i think that's a really healthy option let's take that off so i can't wait because i'm actually uh, back first live course is this weekend in portsmouth so i'm heading south mm -hmm. and um, i've got my passport to go that far south um, <laughs> uh, i'm really excited i love live teaching because you can just 
it's so much more interactive. People can obviously ask questions. And whilst there's, there's huge value in the online course, it, for me, it's I love that live teaching. And you, I learn new things every time I teach because people come from so many different professions and, and with different experiences. And it just keeps it all really, really exciting. I think it's been a common theme in the guests we've had. Um, it was like Pete Maliaris and that is COVID really kind of, if you're an educator and you know the benefit of having the person in front of you and being able to read them better and they can read you better and learn so much more. And there's a lot of happy educators out there now who are able to see their flock again and actually mix. Yeah, it's a good thing. But I really understand. I like um, uh, the point about a lot of it you can get online and then kind of read about it clue it up and then that makes it even more special when you're face to face and you can put that all into practice so good stuff i'm a bit worried about no one typing anything can you just put your pens down for a second class talking of classes just make sure someone type hi there or something to make sure you can actually leave comments they're all still there i'm just getting a bit paranoid that's all i don't know <laughs> it's very unlike um, becky not to have asked a question yet or Catherine to kind of comment on some part of her body or something normally we've got something in there going on but anyway i don't know Maybe there is an issue going on, but that's fine. I've got so many questions here. I just don't want to leave you guys out. So anyway, yes, that's the website, AngelaJacksonPhysio.com. Um, go and check it out. If you listen to the podcast, loads of options on there. Becky's still here. Fine. They are just all writing away. It's free CPD. Um, that's what it is. They all send their – there we go. More nuggets. How do you manage coach expectations? Historically, I've had to deal with coaches – who say things like, we need to make it hard for these athletes. They'll adapt if they just work through the pain. Exactly. Don't we know it, Gary? Great question, um, Gary. Yeah, really good question. So um, uh, probably an easy example at the moment is I spend a lot of time doing coach education. So I'm working with the England Cricket Board. Um, and in fact, I think it's coming out tomorrow, but uh, they did a little teaser last week. So I've designed a, a module called Ready for Cricket, which is based on the FIFA 11 type concept of of some exercises that kids can do when they're playing cricket to warm up and improve their sort of movement competencies, um, but also their strength. But the critical bit is around education. So I spend a lot of time going into coaching situations and do sort of like a little evening on how to track workload um, and when it's okay to ignore pain and when it's not. Um, the other really sort of thing is we teach them a lot about a wellness score. So one of the things you might find helpful is um, uh, you may or may not have heard of, of rate of perceived exertion. So RPE, and it's a score out of 10. And, and the way I use it with kids is that it may well be that firstly, we need to ask them how hard the, the child is working in the session. And it may well be that the kids sort of um, a lot of these very, very passionate kids will go, well, what do you mean? There's only one, one if my mum tells me to do my best, well, that's 10 out of 10. And those are the kids that tend to historically get the recurrent injuries because they're pushing, pushing, pushing hard. So if we get that RP score from the kid, then sometimes you can educate the coach to sort of say, well, what was your expectation of that session? How hard do you think that you wanted the children to work? Because if you've got a fixture in two days and you're burning all your kids at 10 out of 10, then obviously they're not going to be as best prepared for that game as they could be. So I quite often use the sort of um, work with RPE, but then using a wellness score. And what we get parents and coaches and kids to do is score themselves. I keep it very simple with children. I've adapted it. So 
I get them to score themselves, and maybe you guys could do this for yourselves for tonight, is if I said to you now, um, how fatigued are you? How tired are you? It's the end of a long day and you're having to sit, listen to me prattle on. Out of five, one out of five, how tired are you today? So five's a Duracell bunny, one's flat on your back. And then I want you to say, how refreshed did you feel after your sleep? One to five, five was a really good sleep. How sore are you today? And then how stressed are you? And those are the four real metrics that we know are going to influence kids' ability to train hard. Now, if they sort of get used to this and parents in the car on the way to training or on the way home from school use that score to go right out of 20, how are we today? And if that kid's kind of scoring down in the ones and twos and cumulatively out of 20, they're only at eight. Well, I tell mum to turn the car around and go home and explain that to the coach. If we've got a situation between eight and 12, this is where the coach education needs to come in. We're going to get that kid to go training, but use an RPE of below five. And more importantly, that they're going to base their training on technical rather than go hard or go home. And so unless we can start to educate, and this is what this Ready for Cricket program is, I don't think it's good enough just to give strength and conditioning out. So I, there's a download part to this program, basically based on coach education. Uh, and that's where I'm kind of targeting as much as we can to try and get it out there. That if the kid's scoring fours and fives on the wellness scores and they're bouncing around like a Duracell bunny, well, yeah, go hard. Go at an eight out of nine out of 10 RPE. But if they're not, then we've got to teach the child to have be empowered to say, look, I'm not feeling great today. Last time this happened, I got, you know, recurrent viruses or last time I got sick um, or I got injured. And so I want to train light today and get them used to feeling a little bit in control of how hard they train. Now, some kids don't have that confidence to speak to the coach or maybe the parent doesn't. Um, and a lot of it is that they fear they'll get dropped. And they'll feel that they, if they admit to not working really, really hard, that that'll be knocked against them. But the more we can get kids empowered to communicate that they're actually doing it so that they are fit and ready for the game next week, then I think the more that the kids feel a little bit more in control of it. It's worked really, really well. So we just use that wellness score in RPE to say, train hard, train light or go home. It's... um. It's fascinating hearing it from you because you've done, I mean, is it 15 years with the uh, Cheshire Cricket Board supporting them with strength and conditioning? I think for, for a lot of therapists listening to this, the the problem is getting through to the coach who just wants to win the games. And I don't want to tie all coaches with the same brush, but a lot of them probably are old school and and they you know they haven't they're not up to date with this and they just want um all their players to give it every you know everything they've got for every single match and they're probably disgruntled if one of them can't perform or can't come in and do you personally as a therapist sometimes have to step in and organize some communication directly with the church because you've been talking about having the parents contact the coach and so on but do you ever have to kind of go and see them yourself have you ever done that and I usually um, ask the parents. So we have uh, we talk about coaches there, but we also obviously have school children. Um, and what's interesting is is both my kids have, have been high end athletes. They both did sports science degrees. Uh, one of them is now in teaching. So it's really interesting when you talk to him about some of the roles that 
um, he's aware of where the school put pressure on the coaches to actually get results. And if that, that coach doesn't get results, same in a club situation. Um, so it's not even sometimes that they're old, old school. They won't have a job next year if they mm-hmm. don't win, win award, you know, win cups and, and get recognition at a national level. And so there is the sort of pressure on the coach that we don't always recognize as to, um, they may have the information, but their job depends on them getting a victory. And therefore they don't always necessarily think about as their first line, um, the well-being of the child. And so quite often what I'll do is sort of say, we have all sorts of interesting dynamics, but let's take a situation where I've just had this evening. Um, I've recommended that the child um, is a cricketer and he's not going to bowl for the next four weeks, which means he's not going to be ready for the season. So my phone call on the way out of the session was to directly to the coach to say, this is what I've done. This is why I've done it. And, you know, it'd be really great if you could give him another role in the, the organization whilst he's healing and support his his sort of rehabilitation. And the coach was really on board with it. So I, a lot of it is that extra bit of work, which it takes with the kid. So I then the children, um, parents are split up. So I then always make sure I've got an email to both because I'm hitting situations all the time where maybe when they're with one parent, they'll do their exercises and eat really well. Maybe with the other parent, they won't. So we get everybody on the same page. So what we'll usually do is do one email and then ask to copy it. Um, And you obviously have to get that permission, but I'll then copy it to the school teacher, to the coach of all their different sports and both sets of parents. And then there's no arguing. If I've said no sport for four weeks, um, and I've said we need to, to maybe um, go ahead with an exercise program during the PE lesson, then we very, very definitely need the whole buy-in of the whole coaching team. And usually, you see, at a, once it gets to 15, 16, then children will be picked up by academies and they'll be picked up by national governing bodies. And then they will have a physiotherapist and a strength coach. But it's this age group that I love working with, which is more like the eight to 15s before they get all that. And the parents got a really tough role because they've got to gain some nutrition knowledge. They've got to gain a bit of sports psychology knowledge. So that whole when you get to being an elite athlete as an adult, you have an entire army of people looking after you. But when you're the athlete that's on their way to that status, so they're going to be really good. It's the poor old parent. And that's where they look to us as therapists to say, Give me the information I need. Amazing. Um, there's so much in there. So we have such a polite people coming in. that You can see here that um, Sarah Jones just come in. She said, sorry, she's late. That's okay, Sarah. Don't worry. Just don't do it again. Just finish work. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. There's no need to say sorry. Say sorry. It's nice. You have missed a lot, though, Sarah. I'm not going to lie. You're going to have to watch this back because there is an awful lot um, going on in there. It's, it's lovely listening to you, Angela. There, and, it's, and, it, and you make it sound so simple, the solution, but... It's all about the communication, isn't it? As we've seen so many times in here, you might be a great therapist and you've been taught to do wonderful things with your hands, but it's the mouth and the ears and knowing when to use them and, and you know, when it comes to communicating with coaches and laying it out. So I imagine that's things that, that get picked up on your courses and that about having to how to talk to the other people inside that circle and parents. And um, the athlete's saying as well, because you, you're going to deliver this little dynamic, you know, sort of, volcano of, of emotions to the poor kid and uh, mm. quite often you'll hear me 
uh, open sort of talks that I give with I'm done with making kids cry. Um, and we need to get this. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. We need to get share the information out there so that any of these injuries that we can prevent um, and mitigate, then that's really what's driving me forward so that I don't end up with the kid having to miss a tournament or miss a, a big mm -hmm. cup event um, and end up in tears. So um, but that's all good. But I saw a great question um, from Gary, if I could highlight that and I'll yeah. work down the list. Anatomical one. What can one. you tell us about anatomical age variance whereby a 13-year-old may be physically like a 10-year-old or an 18-year-old? I had an under-14 cricketer with a beard <laughs> and could hit the ball a mile. Gary, can I sign him? Um, He's so, from Lincoln. There's quite interesting demographics in Lincoln. Actually, yeah. Well, we, I think we're in the same age groups as uh, same. Uh, um, Lincoln was always in our group for Cheshire. Uh, wow. so I jest, Gary. Uh, fantastic question. So um, a great physiotherapist uh, called Mandy Johnson was at Manchester United. And then from there, she went to Aspatar. And if, if I don't know whether you're familiar with Aspatar, um, mm -hmm. Matt, it's um, it's well worth looking up to anybody listening because Aspatar was set up when Qatar decided to try and win the World Cup at football. And so they bought the best of the best. And I'm talking like the serious gurus in the therapy world uh, and the medicine world. And they put them all in Qatar at a place called Aspatar. And what's come out of there is more research than I've probably seen in my entire career has come out since Aspatar started throwing zillions of pounds at really good quality research. So Mandy Johnson went out there and there's a fantastic um, article on Aspatar. It's free. And what it shows is the x-ray of a nine-year-old in actual fact. And uh, it's two, two wrist x-rays, which is how they tell skeletal age. And what they looked at was two little boys, birthdays a week apart, and they were both nine years of age on paper. Um, one of the little kids had the bones of a six-year-old and one of the little kids had the bones of a 12-year-old. So exactly what Gary's saying is that we think that there's about a six-year age span. Now, ironically, as they get more towards 15, that, that margin gets a lot smaller. But what they've introduced is something called biobanding now into a lot of organizations. And, and I'm pushing for it to go into cricket, Gary. Um, but what we're looking at is that you can, if you measure kids, um, let's say we measure them uh, on January the 1st, and then we measure them again on April the 1st. And from that, if we take the, the parents' height, so the mum and the dad's height, and you do a calculation with that, what you can actually work out is roughly how big this kid's going to be. And it's relatively um, accurate. And then what you can do when you start tracking data over many months is work out how fast they're changing and how quickly they're going to hit that big growth spurt. And with that comes the ability to then say, well, look, if we've got this under nine squad, or in this instance, I think you use the, the 13s, then what some of the organizations are doing is saying, right, well, instead of putting the under 13 squad or the under 10 squad together, we'll put all of the guys with the skeletal maturity. And I can tell you how to, to look at that in a different way. But you don't take x-rays of kids very often these days. But basically, that's the, the idea behind it. And so you'd put all the kids of the same skeletal maturity in the same group. 
So you might have them what we call bio-banded, and they might have a competition where nobody's in their own age group. They're all in an age group specific to their maturation. Now, what's really important is when you start to look at that 13-year-old in front of you, um, so let's see, he was an under 14. So let's say he was 13, and he's obviously got a beard. Um, so consequently, we know that he's gone through puberty. Um, so when did he go through puberty? When did he do his big growth spurt? Let's assume he probably did it two years ago at least. And that was then probably when he was around 11. So he's two years ahead of when we'd expect that to happen. But with that, he isn't going to be the kid who gets Osgood Schlatter's at this age. He's way more susceptible now to the injuries that we see in that older age group once their muscles are bigger and stronger. So what starts to happen then around the pelvis is if you've got big muscles like your hamstring or your quads, what you'd see in an adult if you start really putting those under pressure with lots of like deadlifts and, and movements that you see that really put pressure on the uh, attachments at the pelvis is a tendinopathy. What you see in these kids when they do massive kicks and sprints is the actual tendon attachment to the pelvis actually pulls off and we call it an avulsion fracture. So what's really important from that question is that we can sometimes expect too much of kids just because they're tall doesn't mean they're mature. So we can't just judge the big kids and go, yeah, yeah, they're an early maturer. They may not be. They might be going to be six foot six. We've got to start taking data about how tall they were, how much they're growing, how fast they're growing and what their potential for growth is, because that will start to help us make sure that we pick the right kids for the right sports. It will make us aware of what pathologies occur at what stage. And it will help us to get sort of inside the head of um, what stage they're at for their their strength and conditioning programs and things. This is fascinating. So when you're talking about the, uh, what did you call it? The biograding? Biobanding. Sorry, the biobanding. Is it possible that maybe when we're having kind of games, competitive games kind of organized by age, it should really have games organized by biobanding? Would that be kind of safer for athletes? Um, it's come, it's pretty much, it's in every professional football club now. So you, what they found is that there are advantages to it. So if we took the little um, situation here, we, we were talking about this, New Zealand have biobanded their cricketers, their rugby players and soccer players. Um, we've not really made much headway yet in cricket. But if we took the little football club um, and we took this maybe under 14 player, if he's one of those kids that matured really early, and let's just make a story up that he's also one of the bigger kids. So if he's in his own age group, whether he's playing cricket or whether he's playing football, he's going to basically be stronger and he's going to possibly be faster and he can bowl more quickly and all those sorts of things. So he's not going to get challenged in his own age group. And what he'll do is actually ironically get into bad habits where he relies on his strength and he doesn't develop the technique. Now, if you take that on a stage, life's been pretty easy for this kid. He's bigger and he's stronger. And so he's muscled his way through. And then they start to sort of plateau off a little bit as some of the other kids catch up. But what they've never faced is failure. And what we know is these kids need to have setbacks in order to develop robustness. So what the sporting world and certainly Twitter's alive and well with is 
looking at what we call the late developer. And Kevin De Bruyne from Manchester City is a perfect example of that, one of the world's best footballers, but actually was let go and was nearly out of an academy because he was a late developer and he didn't come through. So, but when he did come through, he'd faced failure. He had to develop really good tactical and technical ability because he couldn't muscle his way through on anything. So there's really good reasons why we should put kids into bio bands. And most importantly, now that the sort of scouts and the uh, coaches are aware of this, they're becoming much more aware of putting kids in bibs that are of the same maturity. So even when they're in their own age group, it's really obvious to them at selection day, which of these kids are actually maybe one, two, three years behind, but how come they're managing to get into the trials? So they must be really special, even though that slightly more mature kid may stand out. So it becomes really, really interesting. But there's some psychological barriers to some of this. And so they keep what they do is a percentage of time spent in your own age group. So it's not really that great for a 13-year-old to spend his entire time with nine-year-olds. They're not talking about the same things. They're not, you know, whilst maturity-wise of his body, but psychologically, he's used to doing things that most pubescent boys are. So it's, it's just really important that we understand that there's pros and cons to every system. Um, and we need to really, really understand where that kid's at. Now, with a girl, it's easy. All we do is ask them if they're having periods. Um, and suddenly, you know, wham, we've, we've got a way of interpreting. The boys are harder, but what you do is you grow from your foot upwards. So basically, if they look like they've got, you know, massive um, giraffe-type legs, well, we're, we're well and truly on the way. They look disproportionate. If they're going through that clumsy stage where we now call it athletic awkwardness, we're not allowed to call it clumsy, but basically they're all arms and legs and flailing all over the place and they just look out of kilter, well, they're probably heading straight into that growth spurt. Yeah, you're pretty much describing my teen years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on so many accounts. Yeah, the, the, yeah, we don't need to now assume that all kids, this is what I was going back to before, take the injury history, take the training age and work out how they're coping with the training that they're doing. Because we don't need to immediately say, right, every kid that's going through its growth spurt has to do nothing. Mm. Because that just actually makes them less fit and less able to adapt to the load when we bring them back. So it's all about this whole monitoring, tracking, and really getting to understand the athlete. Brilliant. There's so much there. That's fascinating. Um, I will get to your questions um, for a second. I just wanted to point out, I mean, the, the whole maturation part on your course and your course um goes into so many things just to let people who know who are listening um it's all on the website but you're looking at anatomy of the immature skeleton um, as well as the maturation status of the child and its impact on pathology you're looking at recognizing stress fractures signs of overtraining it goes into relative energy deficiency in sports or reds for short and there's so much in there but yeah the match the maturation status is something that's really interesting i just want to ask with regards to a soft tissue therapist who wants to be able to, without giving too much away, because if you really want to know the full answers, you have to do the course. But what are some of the things that you can do either subjectively or objectively to, to form your own kind of um, estimation of the maturation or the banding, the bio banding of, of the person in front of you? So um, 
Firstly, um, I'm not very good at commercialism. So um, a few, probably a month ago, there was a thing on my social media saying, if you want to have my um, little ebook on growth and maturation, then wing me an email and you get it for free. So very happy to, to do oh, right. that. Okay. The um, all they need to do is just send me an email and then it's in it to info at angelajacksonphysio.com and you can have a copy of my growth and maturation. My drivers are hugely around education for mm. getting it out there. So we've got to find a way of making all of the therapists uh, aware of what's in front of them. And so it's a great question. Um, so uh, the first things first is, um, have you grown out of your shoes lots recently? Mm-hmm. Um, that's your first one because the feet are going to grow first. So if we take the most, what we call peak height velocity is what you'd expect. It's when we're growing at that maximal rate. Um, and so the, in girls that occurs on average around 11 and in boys around 13. So as we're starting to, to head towards our peak growth spurt, that they'll grow out of their shoes. So a dead easy one is, have, is it, are you costing your mum and dad a fortune in shoes at the moment? Mm. And have you grown out of your trousers recently? So we've suddenly got, yeah, feet are growing, then the legs are growing. Right, so we need to understand what chain reaction that's going to have within the kids. So the kids are on their way then, aren't they? Um, if we then can get them used to this idea of, well, how much have you grown? And even if they can't say it exactly, what we know is, that a 0.6 centimetre of growth in the previous month, so seven centimetres in the year, is a really strong indicator that they're in that big growth spurt, but it's also linked to injury. So if you can say to the the kid or the parent, have you grown more than, and show them what it is, or where were you at on your mum when, you know, at Christmas? Where were you, where, how tall were you relative to your brother at the summer holidays? So... Um, that's a magical figure is seven centimeters. Um, and then you start to look for, it's not just peak height velocity, but peak weight velocity. So another easy question is, have you started to put on any weight? Um, so that's another one that will help us to see what stage that they're at. Um, and then you can start to look obviously in the female, as I say, it's a whole lot easier and you're going to see breast you might start to see facial hair growth and then when you're assessing them you might start to observe hair under the armpit but it's all quite difficult and we all we're very very aware that we can't start asking too many of these questions the first time you meet them so I actually use a subjective questionnaire before I see every single child because it allows me to get the 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 questions I want, how tall is mum? How tall is dad? How much have you grown? What's your weight? Because that tells me their protein intake that they're going to need. How much exercise do you do? And then you can start to ask the tricky questions. So have you started your periods? Well, if you've started them, are they regular? Mm -hmm. And then they can discuss that. But what that really helps, and you can ask about sleep and all the other stuff, food allergies and stuff we need to know, but you can nail it all before they come in, which means that you're already really well aware. They know what you need to know. They're on the same page already because they now know what's relevant. But in, a, in addition to that, um, you are really aware of what you need to attack within those first few sessions. Now, 
Um, I use my hands a lot. I was very much a manual therapist, very much into my soft tissue work and loads of anatomy trains and things. And I think like that with a child. So we know that these muscles are tight um, and we know that um, they'll probably need to, to, you know, I use the analogy of if it's like plasticine, the more we warm it up and rub it, the more it's going to stretch. So I'll get in there with quite often, um, you know, if it's the, if it's appropriate with some soft tissue work. But while I'm doing that, I'm also then starting that education process. Oh, I noticed that you're not taking in much protein or I noticed that you're vegetarian. Talk to me about that. So while I'm working, I'm all the time starting to sow seeds about how we're going to get them back on track. Fantastic. Great stuff. Really good. Um, okay. Right. Look, it's um, five, two. I'm going to, what I'm going to do now is try and do, uh, there's a few questions I've missed in there, which I want to put to you. And I'm going to challenge you to doing like, I don't know, 30 second answers. Okay. Um, <laughs> here we go. It's the countdown. Let's go for Becky Carroll. Um, asked this a while back. Becky says, any advice on how to tackle the pushy parent aspect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been involved in all sorts of incidents um, with pushy parents. Um, what I usually do, there's a really good study, um, which I can uh, put on social media, but it basically shows that um, the later a child specializes and um, the more that they still play a broad cross section of, of um, sports, the more likely successful they are. And I absolutely highlight that we're on a long journey and that only 20% of kids who represent a country at under 18 ever go on to become full internationals. And that kind of pulls them up. And then I also use the sort of like, what age is the current person in the England team that's playing your position? Okay, so we've still got half your age, like you've been on this earth for 12 years and we've still got another 12 to go before you need to be that good. So let's stop rushing and put the fundamentals in place of teaching you to move, get that right, and then we'll load you up later. So it's it's sort of almost trying to take a little bit of the pressure off. A lot of it's time bound. Mm -hmm. There you go, Becky. Great answer. Um, Catherine moves on to now. We're going to fire another question out here. Catherine Reimer says, is there an emphasis on mental health more now with the pressures that may be put on them at a young age to perform their best? So absolutely amazing question, because the uh, paper I'm writing for one of our physio journals is about this exact topic. And what we now know is that the perfectionist, um, it, it, you've got to remember that if a kid's really pushing hard at being an elite athlete, then they um, will put quite a lot of pressure on themselves. So we have to identify whether it's self-induced pressure or pressure from their peers to help the team win. Or is it pressure from teachers because we need to win? And where's the pressure with parents? So it's multifaceted. Uh, and it can even just be time pressure. These guys, I mean, my two kids played international sport and it was literally like a juggling act. One of the kids said, you know, can we get off the hamster wheel, mum? I don't want to give anything up, but I just feel like I'm literally spinning plates. Um, and so I think we have to recognise what pressures is there and that wellness score of understanding out of five, how stressed are you? Because what we know is that this is where the emphasis now is in the research, is that those perfectionists that set themselves high standards don't get injured. Those perfectionists that set themselves high standards and then beat themselves up for um, not, not meeting those and being really negative and critical and self-talks very poor, their injury risk is so, so much higher. 
Um, and then when you start to look at some of the overtraining things, a lot of that is now being linked back to pressure that kids are under. And it's the psychological pressures that are influencing um, the physical. So it doesn't matter how strong they are. Um, we've got to really, really look at nurturing these athletes and give them some tools to actually manage their stress. And I talk a lot to kids about that. These are great. And it's so useful, isn't it? Like you've given a couple of examples from studies. And I think parents obviously just want the best for their kids, even if they are really pushy. They're doing it because they love them and, you know, they want them to excel and have a good future. You know, it's all. But but if you can get through to them, they are adults and you can say, look, actually, the studies are showing this. That's kind of pretty cool. You don't have to go into massive detail. But if they know that you've been looking at the research and this has come up. So there's a few pearls there, isn't there, to have um at hand to help um, convince the parents that maybe... like a couple of really key um diagrams so there's a mm. really good one on uh the running clinic.ca which is um blaise dubois mm. uh, he's got a really good activity modification tool with an absolutely stunning graph and i'll show how in the long run you're going to be able to do more but mm. if you keep doing this too much too soon roller coaster you're never going to reach it. So that's da- I have that downloaded on my computer and mm-hmm. I have um, the diagram of the research study. It's an infographic. So I have mm-hmm. a couple of key things downloaded onto my computer and I just pop them up and say, right, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's really make sure you understand why you got injured because otherwise I'm never going to be able to stop it from happening again. And then the parents start to kind of like take some notice usually then. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I love that idea of having some, yeah, something prepared. Very good. Great question, Catherine. And last but not least, of course, Becky will have the final question. Um, Becky says, um, I assume that biobanding children with regards to their rehab would therefore be advantageous also. 100%. I mean, we've got to recognize um, when we're dealing with our treatment approaches um, where they are in their maturation. Um, so what's appropriate for one is not going to be appropriate for another of the same age. So this concept of once we understand where they're at on their little journeys will help us because a lot of the research will sort of say that maybe the vertical jump of a 13-year-old should be X. But if this kid's 13 years old, but actually maturation of a a nine-year-old, we're going to set massively difficult um, expectations. And sometimes that whole physical maturation also goes with mental maturation. So they may look 13, but they're acting like a nine or 10 year old. And therefore we've got to think about how we deliver exercise programs and treatments and advice to them in a way that's relevant to their learning style and their learning maturation. Excellent. Great, great advice there and great questions as well. Um, There's so much, I mean, just in tonight and the hour, it's given a great indication. I thank you so much for, for, for ideas, which it's a classic example of things that don't cross your mind unless you're told by a professional, you know, it's, it's, uh, I just want to do your course now. I'm not just saying that it sounds so fascinating. There's so much in there, which you aren't taught and which just, like I say, those Eureka moments. So thanks Becky for a great question. Just to let people remind people um, about the website and everything. Let me just tie Becky's question there. We're talking about the course, Active Kids um, Are Not Mini Adults. And if you go to the website, I'll put this on large screen if you're watching on YouTube. Um, If you go to the website, angelajacksonphysio.com, then you will see um, the course there. Um, plus a load of other courses as well. But hopefully tonight has given you an indication of how much there is actually 
useful information there is to learn and how much it can help such a large percentage of your population i imagine because how we started off saying that if you're getting mum and dad coming in chances are they're going to send their children to you if, if their children are running into problems and that can open up a whole can of worms if you don't um, know the answers or you're not able to guide these children properly because in my experience some of the biggest dropouts of people not coming back to you and um, can be caused by um not convincing mum and dad that you're actually going to help little tim or you know um uh, whatever her name is. i can't think of a girl's name now i don't want to just choose a boy flossy. um flossy there you go if you don't get flossy back to football um as quickly as expected then um the parents might be very quick to take that child away and then you lose them as customers as well so as a business model i think it's really important to have the tools to be able to show the results when it comes to young athletes as well and it sounds like unless you've got some of the stuff you're talking about you're not going to do it you're going to be treating like an adult and you're not going to get the results so obviously they're going to go elsewhere i think the exciting part matt is turn it around the other way is if you learn about kids you may well set yourself out from the crowd and mm. so you can then advertise yourself as a new uh, revenue stream mm. um, and essentially you know make sure that you are the go-to people you can do little talks in schools and local clubs and set yourself out as that, which is how I set my entire clinic up. And 30 years later, you know, mm. I've had the, the joy of selling out and being able to do what I love, which is teaching. But fundamentally, this being different enabled me to really, really step out there with the marketing tool and go, yeah, come to me. And then we do treat mum and dad and granny. But actually, we, we really are good at doing kids. So it's been a good, good business tool as well. Definitely. And it's really useful and, and important that we do talk about that. I think that's been we will be doing a month on the on the on the podcast devoted to business models and how to make your business thrive, because there's still lots of people who didn't make it through COVID and they're struggling now. So if you have got this massive population that you can serve well, get results where people down the road are not getting results, then, hey, your business is going to thrive um, and you can still do what you love. So great advice. Thank you so much, um, Angie. Amazing stuff. Um, if people uh, want to follow you, you're quite active on Twitter, are you? Is that the best yeah. place? Or Yeah, I'm trying to, to master. You can see how old I am. So I'm, I'm trying to master Instagram. Um, but Angie, A-N-G-I-E-J, physio, um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then the for those that are keen to learn more, I've also set a Facebook group up. So it's an MSK Peds um, group. Um, so again, please do come and join that. It's free. Um, I put infographics on. We share case studies. Um, so in essence, uh, feel free to find me on on Facebook as well uh, and come and join us and, and kind of learn a bit more. And there's no, it, it, like it's all the different professions and it's all different levels. It's just people saying, I'd love to know more about it. That sounds great. We'll make sure that the links to the Facebook group and your own um, social media handles and stuff is all in the show notes. And for the show notes, you've either got to go to um, thesta.co.uk, where we upload everything, or Podbean, which hosts this podcast. Um, and I do kind of add them to YouTube, uh, but YouTube is a bit more limited in terms of clickable links and stuff. So probably the best place if you want to see these links is going to Podbean or going to um, thesta.co.uk, where it all is um brilliant okay Angela, thank you so much i'm going to you don't go away anywhere i want to say thank you to you uh, once we uh, close this live um, episode so thank you people for joining us 
Um, it's been really good questions, great questions, which provoke some great answers. So we thank you. If you listen to the podcast um, and you like the idea of joining us live, so you can ask questions to the guest and kind of mingle with the people who come and join us live, then it's Tuesdays. It's simple. It's Tuesdays at eight o'clock UK time, which at the moment is GMT plus one, in case you're joining us from somewhere else across the world. Um, you don't have to be an STA member. It gives you a chance to have a look at what the STA is about. Often we have regional reps in here, um, but you haven't got to be an STA member and you haven't got to join up. Um, but and it's open to all soft tissue therapists you know you don't have to be um, a sports therapist or a massage therapist we get plenty of physios and osteos and chiros joining us as well just for the knowledge so thank you so much um cpd month is not over yet because there's five tuesdays in this month of march and next week we are going to have um my and angela's mutual friend uh, jack march who is going to be back and um, jack was with us oh quite a while ago now when was jack last with us um, back in episode 38, like a third of time away, um, talking about his passion, rheumatology. He is rheumatology.physio. I think that's the name of his website, actually. I'm pretty sure. Is it down there? Yeah, rheumatology physio. And he's got great courses uh, called Recognizing Rheumatology. You can either do it half day or full day. And again, it's we talked about it in episode 38. The beauty of our industry is we are the first stop for a lot of people in pain, particularly lower back pain. They will come to us. OK, which is kind of exciting as long as we can help um, send them to the right people and recognize what Jack refers to as masqueraders. And that goes for women's health as well, uh, male, uh, male pelvic health, um, all sort of things. Rheumatology is a big one as well. Often years and years and years of no diagnosis because they just go for one massage or the other and they don't get to the root of the problem. So I encourage you to join um, us next week uh, on Tuesday at eight o'clock UK time for the very great and a lovely bloke as well, Jack March. Um, as long as, of course, as he isn't um, a parent by next week, I should mention as well that if he can't come because he's um, nursing a newborn child, then that's fair enough. I let him off. But as far as I've heard, um, he's still able to come. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much for joining us. Um, and we will see you, as always, uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association video cast and podcast. Thank you and look after each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.